It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. If instead Putin doubles down, then so shall we, further ratcheting up economic pressure and supporting Ukraine with finance. Sanctions have to be as powerful as they can possibly be. We will be pushing the government to go further and faster. We could have a massive miscalculation and we will then be in a full-scale war across the globe. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Good afternoon. Coming up on today's programme, the biggest strike in over 30 years on the UK's railways. What will it mean for the government? We'll be talking to RMT London Transport organiser John Leach about what the union wants and to Bloomberg Opinion's Therese Raphael about how the government is responding. Plus, we'll be speaking to Austin Boyd from the Centre for Economics and Business Research about how much the walkouts will cost the British economy. So the Cabinet meets today, but the real question is how they got into the office. London's Tube Network and the nation's trains are running a skeleton service today as strikes get underway. And despite negotiations breaking down, the war of words between the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps and union bosses continues. RMT Chief Mick Lynch says that the blame for walkouts lies with the Transport Secretary. It's a mess created by Grant Shapps and government policy. What he needs to do really is allow the management of the train operating companies and network rail the licence to get on with negotiating. But Shapps this morning says there's nothing he can do to stop the strikes. The employers are the people to be around the table with the unions. They have done. They've they've met with them on 60-plus separate occasions, 6-0. If I thought there was even a one in a million chance that my uh, being in the room would uh, help source it out, then I'd be there. Well, the question today is, will the government ministers get involved in the negotiations? But more broadly, this dispute is about how the economy moves on from the pandemic and who bears the pain from the economic conditions that the UK faces. Uh, On top of that, politicians from all sides are struggling to find clear answers. A Labour shadow minister was spotted on the picket lines today, despite Keir Starmer saying the party didn't support the disruption. Well, let's speak now to RMT's London transport organiser, John Leach. John, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. Just tell us ex- exactly what your members are calling for in this week's strike. We're asking for the uh, railway staff of Great Britain, from wherever they are working, from Scotland all the way to the West Country in England, into Wales, have a fair deal going forward. Now, <clears throat> what does that look like? Well, it's more a case of what it doesn't look like. The government... Uh, 
coming out of the pandemic, has decided that the best thing they can do is put two billion pounds worth of cuts into the railway industry. Uh, and the way in which they want that to be delivered is to a continued pay freeze and a pay cut uh, going forward for the railway staff. For a form of fire and rehire, which is basically reapplying for your job for many, many people. For the closure of every ticket office in Great Britain. For the staff pension funds to be put in jeopardy. And on top of that, for nearly 3,000 jobs to go in maintenance. What union in worth its name could possibly entertain that? What we really would have preferred coming out of the pandemic, and your future uh, lead-up mentioned this, was some stability, a decent pay rise, just a reasonable one. That's all we're looking for, cost of living. Uh, some job security and an assurance that people's contracts will be left alone. And and that's what this is all about. It's not about all the rhetoric from Mr. Shapps about union leaders and, and, and all of that. It's complete and utter uh, nonsense. But the determination today shown by the men and women who kept Britain moving across the entire railway network. How much of a pay rise are you looking for then for your members? We're looking for a fair pay deal. We're serious negotiators. We understand that you don't come in and say it's got to be that that or nothing else. We want to negotiate around formula, and this is what we've been doing for over 100 years as a trade union in the British railway industry. And that is what the government... I'll tell you what that is. That's the RPI figure at the time of the what we call anniversary of the deal. So we're looking for a package around that. We're looking for job security. We're looking for guarantees. That's what we're looking for. We, we can't nail it on the figure because we will be accused then of holding people to a ransom and all that nonsense. What the government's got to do, though, is take these cuts out of the industry, unshackle the management, because at the moment they're working under the direct order, orders of Mr Shapps, and enable them to negotiate properly with us. You know, which is what we do all the time. We're, you know, this is, this is our line of business. We're a union. We negotiate contracts and deals from members every single day of the week. So that's what we're looking for. <clears throat> Realistically, the ridership of the railways has massively changed, hasn't it, over the past two, two and a half years? Not least passenger numbers still well down on pre-pandemic levels. Do you think the railways need to change in, in response to that? Yeah, and change is something that we deal with all the time. I mean, you know, we're not being flippant, we've been around for over 140 years, more than that, actually, and we've dealt with steam trains all the way through to the most modern technology, computerised signalling, driverless trains, all kinds of things that, you know, well, trains that, you know, have got modern technology on board, things like that. And we can and we do deliver change, but what we don't deliver is a race to the bottom on people's contracts and casualisation and the cut in people's pensions. It, it, it is a historic drop-off in, in usage of the railways, isn't it? Which, which, which no, nobody welcomes, I'm sure. But, the, but there are far mm. fewer people using trains now than there were before. Yeah, we recognise that. We want to get people back on the railway. The railway is an environment, environmentally sound means of transport. It's got to be the way forward. But that means the government's got to invest it properly. Stop looking at it uh, as, a, as, a, as a tool to balance their books and ca- carry out their political agenda. That's what's wrong here. Short-term, populistic, uh, political approach from Boris Johnson down. That's what we're seeing. And today, 
the British Railways staff, wherever they are, there's 14 companies involved today, out. And, by the way, the London Tube as well, which has got its own version of all of this. And they uh, are showing the determination and grit that we haven't seen for a long time. And I have to say, I think everyone else in the British economy are looking at this and and, and seeing that this is exactly the same situation that's facing them. And we're getting masses of support. We're getting international support. We're getting support from people in the London gig economy and in the big cities. We're getting support from places where we're not used to seeing it. And, you know, I think that's a reflection that people respect railway staff as railway staff respect other people in society. It's all about treating people properly and not using the wage bill and the terms and conditions of railway staff as a means of, a, of what is essentially an economic bankrupt idea in, and the one that doesn't work. And that's why we're you know, fighting back today and we'll so continue gov- to do so. But John, the government has put already £16 billion into the railways during the pandemic. Do you think there really is any chance they're going to put more money in on top of that? Is this not about making do with the budget that there is? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they did put that money in. That was money that needed to go in. That kept Britain moving at a time when people needed to be able to get to hospitals and people, key workers had to get from wherever they needed to go and freight needed to be moved. That's what you need to do. It's not a free railway. It has to be paid for. And the way that needs to be done is by a government rising to its responsibilities, which just needs to continue to do. The history of the railway is one where the state intervenes and supports and operates it because it's a public service. It can't, it can't be run actually effectively but and safely. That's another point. This is a, this is a time, John, this is a time when there are so many demands on public money because of the the rising cost of living and many other factors as well, energy, for example, being one of them, is putting money into the railways the biggest priority now, given all of the other demands that are on the government as well. Well, I think I think it is a it is a responsibility, and if you like, then it is a demand that needs to be met. The railway is an integral, and the tube is an integral part of the UK's economy. It is an integral part of an environmentally sound policy as well. Therefore, it has to be regarded as important, not something that can be just used as a means to get down the government's, you know, expenditure. And and that's 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 the point we would make. And, you know, the railway staff are, as I say, in the firing line today, but there are many, many other people out there in the uh, British and the United Kingdom's economy looking at him saying, hey, that's me too. And, and, and that's why Boris Johnson's not just got a, and his, his government has got an argument with my union. They're actually now finding themselves at odds with everyone around them in society. And, and you know, we're feeling that, but as I say, by all the support that we're getting in what we're doing, even though we understand the inconvenience it causes. John, I want to ask you about working from home. Do you, do you worry that the, the changes we've seen over the pandemic where a lot of people, particularly in, in London, can now work from home, do you, do you worry that that has... Has, has weakened your your hand. I remember, you know, tube strikes a few years ago when the really London was crippled, uh, and I get I get the sense today that that for, for many people, you know, life is not is kind of continuing today, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, working from home, of course, extends only to certain sectors, and it's essentially the, a lot of white collar workers, the low wage economy, the hospitality sector, the gig economy, 
the railway, transport, health service, schools, things like that, that, that can't be done from home. Um, we take your point. We understand that. And we don't actually want to stop people. Uh, it's not the idea that some kind of, like, you know, a malevolent force to stop. It's about a lawful means of making the point and giving your union leverage and strength at the table as an absolute last resort. Let's remember... We've been waiting two or three years here, patiently, for a pay rise. We haven't asked for the cuts to be put on the table. They come to us. And, John, you know, what happens... It's a, it's, a, it's a response, that's what I'm saying. What happens next if these you've three days of action planned for this week? What happens if you don't have a resolution at the end of that? Well, I, mean, I think we, we will probably see more industrial action going all, forward. All I mean, out? We, or, or just more selected days? Well, that would be something that we need to discuss with our members. The union's a democratically controlled uh, union and, and they would have the final say in that. But are you concerned that, you know, about this threat of agency workers, something the government is proposing that could be brought in to replace striking workers? It's a, it's a, it's a real concern that, you know, the, ab- the absolute human right to withdraw your labour, which is what we're talking about, is undermined by the use of agency workers. I mean, that was legislation that was passed nearly 20 nearly 20 years ago by a previous okay. Labour government that protected agency workers and all and, and non-agency right. workers from exploitation. So I hope we don't go there. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. 
Let's look now at the political context to all of this with Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, thanks for being with us. We've just been hearing from the RMT. Uh, You say that the union's demands are neither reasonable nor feasible in your latest piece. Why is that? Well, I mean, if we look at the feasibility, the unions want two things in the main. They want uh, a salary increase that will amount to uh, no loss of real term income, so at least 7%. We know inflation is now running, um, you know, 10%, even 11%. So, you know, the, the chances of a sector that is already well remunerated by compared to other sectors, certainly other public sector workers, getting that kind of increase um, are of low to none. Um, and, you know, they, they also, uh, I think more feasible is the second demand um, of not having compulsory redundancies. In fact, the, the network rail has already said they think that the com- redundancies that are necessary can be done on a voluntary basis. Um, but, you know, the strike uh, is is bad news for the rail sector generally because it is a reminder to people that they have other means of transport, at least many people do, or that they can uh, work from home. And it, you know, puts a sector that is badly in need of, um, uh, you know, of rejuvenation uh, in direct conflict with the government and sort of detracts from the issue of reform and productivity enhancement and all these things that we know the rail sector needs. Um, of course, from the union perspective, this is what unions do. They negotiate. This is, you know, uh, the there's no question that their workers uh, are seeing a real-term decline in incomes, have had pay frozen uh, for a couple of years. So uh, this can be expected. But, you know, it, it does land in the government's lap one way or another, um, either uh, uh, because it has a knock-on effect uh, for other unions um, or, or just because public sentiment becomes uh, one of frustration and an expectation that government will do something. Trez, I'm keen to get your view on how much working from home has has weakened the the union's hand. You know, it wasn't so long ago that uh, uh, these strikes would really bring London to a standstill. And I just don't think that is the the case anymore. I wonder if do you think the RMT are are aware of that? Do you think think they can they can get what they want? Well, they're certainly aware that the the conditions uh, for striking have changed, that many workers are going to simply, you know, log in from home and uh, do meetings over Zoom. They're also aware that this is about the maximal damage uh, uh, that they could inflict this week with, you know, the Glastonbury Festival students, you know, taking A-level exams. So they will get some headlines uh, because of the disruption. And I think we'll have to see, uh, you know, by the end of the week, whether that amounts to enough pressure uh, to force some kind of, uh, of settlement that will prevent the strikes from being continued into the summer. Therese, how does the government, you know, get out of this, essentially? Because this isn't good news for them either. Well, that's, I think, the key question here, because you know, the government, by all indications, it seems very happy for this fight. Um, it knows that, you know, of all the kind of worker groups out there, uh, uh, rail workers, you know, as I said, are, you know, are paid pretty well. So figures that public sympathy is not going to be, you know, so strong in favor of, of the unions here. It also knows that um, you know, that caving in to the RMT now, you know, would 
very likely bring accelerated demands from other unions. Um, so I think the government feels fairly comfortable that this is a, you know, this is a, an easier strike for it to oppose. But, you know, what happens if this becomes widespread, if we see multiple industries making those kinds of demands? I think then the government's going to be under a lot more pressure. And, you know, it's hard for politicians on six-figure salaries to tell workers, you know, that they should just make do with a 3% increase when inflation is at 10 or 11%. And, and, and Therese, just briefly, this is in many ways even more uncomfortable for Labour, isn't it, and for, and for Keir Starmer? Yeah, Labour's in a really awkward position um, in, in, you know, traditionally being allied with the unions and, uh, and, and supportive of them. And, you know, Starmer tried to kind of tell um, uh, ministers to sort of stay away from the picket lines and he was slapped down by the head of Unite. He said, he, you know, that was no way to exercise leadership. Um, and so Labour ended up in this very sort of weird position of saying, well, we're against the strike, but, um, you, know, uh, we, you know, we just think it should be resolved, but not really saying what they think should be done to meet worker demands um, uh, without, you know, a wage price spiral. Uh, Labour's only answer seems to be kind of windfall taxes. The government's already adopted that, and that doesn't go a very long way uh, either to solving some of the bigger uh, budget problems. And uh, so I don't think Labour's got an answer that anyone will find very compelling here. OK, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, Therese Raphael, thank you very much for joining us on that. Thank you. Well, let's discuss the wider economic impact of this week's strikes. Now, the Centre for Economics and Business Research has totted up the numbers. They reckon that this tube and rail strikes this week will cost the UK economy £91 million. Well, let's talk about this with Austin Boyd. He's uh, an economist at the CEBR. Austin, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. Now, just tell us how you got uh, briefly to the £91 million figure. Hi, good morning. Yeah, sure. So what we did first was that we needed to understand what output would have been in a business as usual situation. And then from there, we used ONS published data on how much of the population could work from home if they had to. And then we also took into account the number of services running, which the RMT said would be about one fifth remaining. And then from there, we broke this down regionally and by industry as well. And then we used this as an assumption to see how many people would be able to um, work from home uh, without uh, having to use rail to commute and things like that. And this comes to a figure of about 250,000 people on the first day. And then once we have that figure, we can then work out how much output that costs. How does it break down then across the country? Which parts of the country are worst affected by this? Well, it's London in particular, and that's because they've been hit by a TfL strike alongside um, a national rail strike today. And uh, so that that's about £52 million pounds in output lost overall, which is the majority of the cost. And that's about 1% of output that they would see over the three-day period as well. Other regions, though, that are affected are the southeast and about 13.5 million and the east. And these are all regions that heavily rely on rail commuting. And in terms of sectors, what, which, which areas will see the biggest losses? Well, this is, this is in terms of worker output loss. So we're looking at uh, sectors that heavily rely on people being there in person. So that's 
Um, retail in particular at about 13.2 million in output loss. And then we also see health and social work as well at about 9.4 million in output loss. Though I would stress that this is only one part of the picture because we're just looking at workers being able to commute in. But this is, this also relies on, for example, retail customers or hospitality customers being able to commute to work and use pubs and restaurants and things like that today. And the rest of the three days. £91 million is, is actually not a huge amount of money, is it, if you divide it by the population? I mean, it's, that's, that's, that's sort of uh, you know, £1.50 or so per head of population, isn't it? it this, this isn't a, a massive hit to the UK economy. Yeah, yes, I, I agree. However, what's worth pointing out is that we already think that there's um, a chance of a technical recession across Q2 and Q3. And so we think these worker absences could cut up to one percentage point off the Q2 growth figure. So that's something that could really compound the issue there and really increase the risk of recession overall. So it has, from a timing standpoint, it, it may be small, but it's, it could have quite a profound effect in that sense. Austin, we were just speaking to the RMT earlier in the programme who were saying that, you know, if they don't get what they're looking for this week, there could be more strikes down the line. What's the sort of multiplier effect of this if we have more disruption over the coming weeks and months? Well, it, it, it largely depends on the days that they choose to strike on. So if they continue, for example, to strike um, two days during the working week and one day, on the weekend, then we'd see a roughly similar figure. But they might they might catch on to the the effect that we see where working days are far more costly, or I should say Monday to Friday are far more costly in terms of strikes. So they change their strategy in terms of that. The cost could be much higher. Just pivoting on to the wider economy, you mentioned uh, just then that uh, uh, you think it really increases the chances of, of a recession or nudges us further into the chances of a recession. Just talk us through the CBR's uh, view for, for, for the UK economy over, over the rest of this year. Yeah, so we think that there's a chance of a technical recession across Q2 and Q3, and then from there, persistent low growth. And then on top of that, we may slightly see a subsidence in inflation over the summer, but by October, we see the inflation figure hitting about 10.8%. So in terms of sort of future outlook in the sort of medium term, we may see, yeah, we, we may see more hard times to come in that sense. Austin, there are lots of other threats of industrial action out there at the moment. Are there any sectors we should be particularly worried about that it would be, have a, a similarly large effect on the UK economy? Well, it's it's an interesting one because uh, rail and the tr- rail network we don't rely on as heavily anymore due to work from home. So mm. if this happened at pre-pandemic levels, where we see home working levels at a much lower rate, then the cost would have been nearly double at 172 million. Now sectors that could that could affect us in a, to a far greater extent okay. could be health, social work as well as um, other sort of uh, infrastructure activities. However, I haven't done any particular analysis on that, so I can't put a picture on that. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.